in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's riding on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. The Lady Rebels beat New Mexico 93-75 to last night. They are now 21-2, 11-0 in the Mountain West. They had five different players score in double figures, including Desiree Young, who had a double-double with 19 points and 10 rebounds. Just keep rolling along, man. They're crushing the Mountain West. Not even close right now. They've beaten the second-best team in the conference twice already. Yep. And the, the overall strength of the conference isn't that good. So they are rolling at the moment. It's still seven games left in the regular season. I'll still say it's it's unlikely they finish 18-0 and in the Mountain West. But they're going to be basically the favorite in every game they play. Right? There's not going to be I a game know, they play. I don't know, man. They might go 18 I mean, no, they're, they're going like, to be the favorites in I every mean, single one they yes. play. It's just... It's a hard thing it's to do. It's really difficult to do. But, but they're seven away from doing it. Man. So it's, it's certainly to the point where you're like, oh, this is this is plausible. This could be reality. Oh, sure. That they could have a perfect Mountain West season. And like we said, they'd be 28 and two going into the Mountain West tournament, uh, which is an unbelievably good record and would give them a really, really, really good shot to get in that large, get into the NCAA tournament, even if they even, do not yeah, win even the if they don't win the automatic. That would actually be brutal we've talked about the whole at large scenario and what happens if they lose in the mountain west tournament if they go 18 and 0 and then lose in the mountain west yeah. tournament that's brutal and don't get in right like if you're 18 and 0 and then oh first loss in conference just, play came in the tournament if i'm on any committee that decides this and i see a team that went undefeated over 18 games <laughs> and had 28 29 wins if you can't get into that you're never getting that large fold the conference just play the mountain. Just I don't mean, play the regular just season. Play just play the, play the tournament, tournament at the end. Seed them out of a hat. Ah, the one seed yeah. is out of a hat. Great question. Thank you. The Bucks beat the Clippers yesterday, 106 to 105. Giannis went for 54 and had 18 rebounds. He was, I think, scored 19 it was in the fourth quarter. The Bucks trailed by 21 in the third quarter. I stopped watching. I was watching this game and I flipped over to watch an episode of that National Treasure show. And then <laughs> when it was over, I came back and I was like, oh, it's a close game. And then the Clippers did not score in the final three how minutes How is that and possible? Seconds. 352. With Kawhi Leonard and Paul George yeah, how both is that playing. possible? They both played? Yeah. This wasn't a Clippers resting guys game. game. management. Was it Marcus Morris having to lead the offense? Right. It was Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. They just like... UNLV games, to use this as an example, when they lose and like there's a late game scenario and it's like, why didn't they drop a better play? Why'd they just have a guy go isolation or whatever? The Clippers did that for four minutes. For four minutes, it was just Paul George or Kawhi Leonard dribbling, trying to beat his man off the dribble and shooting. And they did create a couple of decent shots that they just missed. But for the most part, it was just, yeah, we're not even going to set a ball screen. We're just, yeah, beat that guy off the dribble and shoot it. It was horrific. Meanwhile, Giannis... Every play was like, all right, I'm going to the rim, guys. Stop me. Yeah, I mean, that's what it was. He's like, I'm going to the rim. 
And if you send three guys, we're getting an open three. If you don't, I'm going to score or get fouled. And this is what we said the other day about the Celtics-Nets. The Nets even never made a run. People always make right. a run when they're down. They're down 21. People always make a run. Yeah. And not the Nets two nights ago because they were down 30 after one quarter. That's a great, great question. All right. We are probably going to break this down a little bit more in Bischoff's briefs. But Donovan Mitchell and Dylan Brooks were both ejected last night. Um, Dylan Brooks, uh, laying on the floor after a rebound attempt, ends up hitting Donovan Mitchell below the waist. Uh, tried to make it look like it wasn't on purpose, but I firmly believe that it was on purpose. Uh, so Donovan Mitchell then threw the ball at Dylan Brooks. And then as they both stood up, Donovan Mitchell ran up to him and shoved him and started, you know, a shoving match. Yeah, everyone came off the bench. The guy who got the worst of it was actually somebody off the Grizzlies bench that Dylan Brooks, like, basically tackled to the ground. Not necessarily on purpose, but the guy ran over to get Brooks away. And Brooks ended up saying, you're going down, buddy. Uh, he probably got it the worst. So a fun fight, maybe, is not the right word, but a fun no. fight. Um, Cavs still won the game, 128-113. Darius Garland went for 32, despite Donovan Mitchell getting ejected. And Mitchell only made, it was like 2 of 11 when he got ejected, too. wasn't even playing well. It was, uh, I was just re-watching it. It was on purpose. Oh, he 100% hit him on he, purpose. He saw him. Yes. He saw him, and as he's going down, he swings his arm yeah. back. If you haven't seen the video... Dylan Brooks is on the laying on the ground after going for a rebound. Donovan Mitchell has the ball and he sort of rolls into Mitchell's leg, not hard, just sort of rolls in to make con to makes contact with him, and then his arm just swings up right into you know Donovan Mitchell's gentleman sausage, right? Yes. And it's a hundred percent. There's no reason his arm would just magically Lail up fly like up that. right no. there. Hundred percent. He's purpose not Draymond Brooks. Green where he just can't <laughs> control his limbs. No, great, great question. All right. Urban Meyer. My favorite excuse ever. Urban Meyer was on uh, the All Things Covered podcast. I have no context for this quote, but I'm going to read it anyways. Talking about the Jacks. They have a lot of different players from when I was there. They did a really good job in free agency this year. Clown show. <laughs> Absolute clown show with that guy. He's great. So not at all my fault. If this yeah, is if this is fault. Urban Meyer's excuse, basically, is to like they went to the they went to the division, went to the playoffs. What were you doing around there for it to be so bad? Even if the answer was as simple as, well, they got better players in free agency. That's still Urban Meyer's fault because Urban Meyer brought in Tim yeah. Tebow to play tight yeah. end instead of signing legitimate free agents. He was like, oh, where's where's my friend? There he is. Tebow, you want to play tight end? What? Even if this is the sole reason, it's still his fault. It's Everything still on is you. His fault there. Yes. And it's not because Trevor Lawrence went from being, oh my God, he's not that good to, oh, he's a yeah. future superstar. Yeah, he wasn't a different player they had on the team. No. I'm, I kind of hope this is how Urban Meyer handles everything in his life. Like, I didn't kick him. He walked in front of my foot. <laughs> Honey, she walked up to me, turned around, and put my hands on her. What do you want me to do? It's not like it's my bar and I could have kicked her out. Next question. Big 12 ADs will discuss Gonzaga as an expansion candidate this week. They started meeting yesterday, still meeting 
today. They're also talking about Oklahoma and Texas potentially leaving the Big 12 sooner because if they don't, it'll be like two more years or something like that. Um, But they could add Gonzaga as a basketball-only member. They're going to talk about that this week. Obviously, you have to figure out the monetary side because if you add Gonzaga, how much more value does that bring to your conference? Plus, how much are you paying Gonzaga? Well, how much are you paying them? Because a football school. presumably you'd pay them less than you pay the rest of your schools because they're only playing basketball. And football is the king when it comes to generating television contracts. So that would be curious. The interesting part to me, though, on just solely the monetary side is the Big 12 could be looking at Gonzaga for NCAA tournament revenue. Because you get money for every game you play in the NCAA Mm -hmm. tournament. And because Gonzaga is routinely going to the Elite Elite Eight, Eight, the Final Four, four. they're routinely generating extra money that the Big 12 would now get instead of the WCC. And it's like tens of millions of dollars or something like that. So I'm curious what those conversations are because normally – Every power conference would sort of balk at the idea of adding a non-football team. Right, I mean, right. There is, correct me if I'm wrong, power five conferences, not a single one of them has a basketball. No. Notre Dame? Notre Dame, kind of? Well, in the ACC, that's, they, so play, that's the only one. they play all their other sports in the ACC and they're independent in football. So the only power conference to have any sort of, hey, you don't we'll play take football. You, you don't play, play football. Is, is Notre Dame? I'm sure there's some other that are like there's some Pac-12 men's soccer that has San Diego State. So there's some other like small sports stuff. But as far well, as what about BYU? Uh, well, they're joining the Big. They're 12 joining now. the Big Twelve, yeah, but they have everything. been basketball and right. WCC. So, but from the Power Conference perspective, this would be pretty much an outlier. It'd be Gonzaga and like Notre Dame would be the only right. two that you'd say, oh yeah, we'll. We'll let you we'll play in our them. conference, even though you either don't have football or you won't play football in our conference. And that might be the end of the list for power conferences as far as teams you'd be willing to bring in without them generating football revenue. Right. Notre Dame and Gonzaga. I don't know who else it would, unless you poached like the SEC was like, we want Kansas, but just your basketball team. <laughs> Next question. The New York Liberty signed Courtney Vandersloot. Uh, she is a four-time All-Star point guard. Fun last name. Um, well, Liberty basically have a big four now. Vandersloot, UNESCO, Brianna Stewart, John Quill Jones. They have two MVPs in Stewart and Jones, a multi-All-Star and all-WNBA point guard, and Sabrina UNESCO, who was the number one pick and had a good season last year, not spectacular. I think I saw Todd Dewey tweeted out that, uh, or maybe it was Willie Ramirez. I don't know who I should credit for this, but uh, that the favorite to win the WNBA title is co-favorites between the Liberty and the Aces at this point, that there is not an outright favorite among those two. They both are the same uh, to win the WNBA title. We talked about this yesterday about how good it is for the league when there's only two teams really playing for this thing. Maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, but I really can't wait to see these matchups. Right, right. The The problem is, is that it's like, these matchups are going to be incredible. They're going to be, be great. as hyped as pretty much everything in the W and anything in the WNBA can be for a regular season game. But we're, what are we going to get? Two of them this year? Yeah. Like yeah. it's going to be so going to be there. They should be. Oh, four. They played four times this year. So we get four aces Liberty game this season. And then what, what will be good for the WNBA is when they do meet in the WNBA finals. 
Like the, the actual Get WNBA ratings. finals will probably be incredible right. when it's these two teams. Regular season eh, might be a little bit of a struggle if there's if they're like if we get to the what are they playing forty games this year? We get to the end of the year and they're both like thirty six and four, right? And like ah, our, we lost two games to each other and then we had an injury in July and sat and we lost a game. Like that'll kind of be bad for the regular season because everybody else is kind of irrelevant. But the WNBA final should be incredible. So if we can just fast forward to that. I'm on board. It'll be a lot of fun. All right, coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, we'll get into some UNLV basketball as they are back in action tonight hosting Fresno State. Giannis going to fire up a three, and he cans it from the top of the arc. That sends this building into a frenzy. Back to the Finley Toyota Studios for Granny and Bischoff on the press box. Before we get into some UNLV basketball, Duke's women's coach, Kara Lawson, says that their game against Florida State over the weekend, they played the first half of the game with a men's ball. We were talking about this before the show. It should have been known right when someone dribbled the ball. I mean, I don't know how the shooters who were shooting the ball or playing with the ball didn't realize, wait a minute, this, this isn't right. So I've read some comments about it. This is not in the actual story that ESPN did on it. But apparently the Duke players did tell their coach that's not the right ball and the refs like wouldn't listen. They just refused to acknowledge it? I don't know. Like how and to me, I just grab the ball and look at it and say, This is the wrong size. <laughs> and you've got here's the thing, you've got more than one ball because you have balls at, at midcourt in case something happens. So why didn't they just go compare? Because in the second half, they played with the women's ball. So someone said something at halftime to make those refs wake up. It, I could not tell you uh, what happened there. Um, but I did find a follow-up story on this from 2010. Illinois and Oakland men's basketball played seven minutes and 22 seconds with a women's ball. How about the guy who said, hey, I've never been able to palm a ball. Look at me. I'm dunking on people. So one of the quotes in this story is uh, an Illinois guard, Dimitri McCamry, said it felt like a Nerf ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But th- this is the best part. Bruce Weber was coaching Illinois. This was his quote after the game. Our kids said something about it right away, but I told him, you guys are just missing shots. Shut up and play. <laughs> <laughs> And then he said, they were scoring with the basketball. It should be easier for you to score, to be honest. It's smaller. <laughs> it's great. Also, oh, Oakland's coach apparently was aware of this, but they were winning at the time. So he didn't say so anything. He didn't say, he didn't anything. say a thing. <laughs> That's wonderful. So I think the moral of the story is, is if you're a referee... And the other and a player says the ball is not the right size. Listen to them. Yes. Like look at the ball. Look and at be the like, ball. Compare it to the other one the other ones you have at midcourt, which there are others, <laughs> and see which one's the right size. But also, wouldn't the refs notice too? Just to go throw the jump ball, wouldn't you be like, Yeah, this isn't the right you should. size. If you, how many women's games do you ref? Because like I remember, like when I was in high school, our men's and women's or boys and girls high school we had different size balls in yes, high school yeah. and i 
remember to be like, oh, put the girls' balls away because they felt like you knew right. immediately this is smaller. This is not the basketball we normally use. I don't know how that happened. I don't know how it happens on either side. And I don't know why <laughs> Bruce Weber would not believe his players either. Shut up and play. Like, has Bruce Weber, have, has he ever had another player in the past be like, hey, I think the ball's a different size. <laughs> and he's like, you're lying. Like, why would he, why would you not, but it's such a specific complaint. Why would you not believe and why, the And if you're losing, why wouldn't you check it? Right. He's like, shut up, make the shots. Yeah. He's like, it should be easier I mean, to you're make losing the, the game. That's great. Tonight, UNLV plays Fresno State in men's basketball. Presumably, they'll have a men's ball. Uh, for the entirety of the game, eight o'clock start at Thomas and Mac. You can watch it on FS1. You can listen to it right here on ESPN Las Vegas. So UNLV lost to Fresno State by 13. Since that game, they have won three in a row. That was probably UNLV's worst game of the season. Technically, Boise State beat them by more, but Boise State's actually good at basketball and Fresno State is not. Uh, Fresno State had their season high for offensive efficiency in that game. I do not expect this game to be close. Nah, Rebs are laying almost 10. I do not think this is a close no, game. No, I don't either. Uh, I don't either. Fresno State's very, very bad. And UNLV is no longer switching all their screens, so Fresno State's not going to be able to just, hey, get our best player in a one-on-one with Keyshawn Hall and score 40 points. I, I think UNLV obliterates Fresno State. I, I think it might be a 20-point win. For UNLV tonight. Not going to argue. Like yeah. I said, they're laying 10. They lost to him last time. They're playing a lot better. It's at home. Fresno State's not any good. It's a whole combination for an easy win, which would be four straight. Uh-oh. Uh, and then they go in at Laramie, right? Uh, it's Yes, I believe then so. Then they go at Laramie. Because here's, here's the other part about Fresno State. They are shooting 28.7% from three. 20? Yeah, that's with women's balls. <laughs> Fresno State needs to start bringing different size <laughs> exactly. balls. They should try out bigger balls, too. Be like, do these work for Bump us? Bump those up, baby. Like, If you're just joining us, we are talking about the size of basketballs. <laughs> basketballs. 28.7% from three. As much as I've complained over the years about UNLV basketball and the lack of three-point shooting, that UNLV has had, how they've had coaches that haven't prioritized three-point shooting. They've had coaches come in and have just bad shooting teams. They have never had a team shoot 28.7% from three. I'd actually, I'd have to look. I don't think, they've probably never in their history had a team shoot under 30% from three. UNLV? Yeah. I'd have to, I mean, the all the Menzies teams, they weren't good, but they were still around 32%, 33%. That was all just Jovan Mooring. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing they've never had a team shoot under 30%. May, I don't know. The first year the three-point line was invented, maybe they took like 17 and didn't make enough. But no, they made a three in every game. So, of course, they've never been under 30%. And Fresno State's at 287 There's just... I can't imagine UNLV losing to this team twice in one no. season. I'm still stunned they lost once. To and now they lost, they kind of dominated right i mean there were a couple moments where you're like oh they might make a run and get back in this but never did never actually got the got back into the lead or anything and they lost by double digits to a bad team um jordan mccabe is questionable for tonight andy amashta from the rj reported yesterday that he's got back flare-ups uh so we'll see if he's able to play luis rodriguez was back last game came off the bench played 28 minutes 
Do you think right now Kevin Kruger knows what his best lineup is? <sighs> yeah, I think he probably does. I think he probably does. Well, if Luis Rodriguez is back healthy, would it be Justin Webster? So the starting lineup that he's been using has been Harkless, Gilbert, Gilbert. Webster, and then Parquet, who just came back, and Vicky Waco. That's been his starting five. But Luis Rodriguez missed a couple of games. He was back last game, came off the bench, so he wasn't in the starting lineup. If Luis Rodriguez is, you know, 100% back, Ready to right, go 100%. He's most likely in whatever he considers their best lineup because you would go EJ Harkless for sure, Keyshawn Good Gilbert ninety percent of the time. He's had a few games this year where he's been so bad that the he whole idea about Parquet and his defense. So those two, I think Luis Rodriguez is number three on in terms of who's for sure in your best lineup, and then it becomes: Do you for sure need to have a center on the floor, which Kevin Kruger thinks that he does? And then who fills in the fourth spot? Or excuse me, the fourth and the fifth spot. Or no, just the fourth spot. I'm just talking. (laughs) Is it Luis Rodriguez? (laughs) Justin Webster, Eli Parquet. There's two spots for those three guys. I would think it's Luis Rodriguez. And then I honestly don't know. Because Parquet brings you your best perimeter defender. But Webster's your best shooter. And I honestly don't know what's better for UNLV at this point. To basically go all in on defense, and you know Parquet is a negative on offense. He he's going to shoot like four times a game. They're all going to be bad shots, and he's going to maybe make one of them. Or Webster, who's not a terrible defender, but isn't great, but is shooting like forty four yeah, percent right from now. three. I honestly don't know, and I don't think it's a problem if Kevin Kruger doesn't know right now either, because they've dealt with some injuries. They've dealt with you know Keyshawn Gilbert falling off a cliff and then coming back. They've dealt with. Keyshawn Hall having some breakout offensive performances. They've had Shane Noel have some good games. Jordan McCabe has been playing really well before his back flare-ups. I don't blame Kevin Kruger right now for not knowing his best lineup, but what I think his number one goal should be between now and the start of the Mountain West Tournament, figure out what your best five is and figure out who the two, three, maybe four subs you are going to want to use when you get to the Mountain West Tournament. I think because they're winning, he stays with this lineup tonight. You think Rodriguez is still on the bench? I think Rodriguez comes off the bench. That's probably fair. That's generally how coaches tend to think, is they say, ah, things are going well. We're not going to make many changes to the starting lineup. Now, final three minutes of the game, Luis Rodriguez is... completely different. He's probably on the floor. Depends on the scenario, right? If they they need offense, it'll be Webster and Rodriguez. If they need defense, it'll be Parquet if they're protecting a lead. So, but I, I I don't think it's a big problem right now for Kruger to not know his best five, but... That's what he's got to figure out by the time the Mountain West Tournament comes around. And if it's Rodriguez in, if it's Webster in, if it's Parquet in, if it's if it's a five-guard lineup, I think he's got to figure out what his best lineup is and then which substitutes he actually wants to use. Because most likely you're not going to go like 10 deep. Not in the tournament. In the Mountain West Tournament. You no. might, but most really? likely... Eight? I mean, right now, he's probably going to... If, if McCabe plays, he's probably going like 10 deep tonight. Because if McCabe plays, everybody's back, and Keyshawn Hall's going to get minutes. Milwaukee counts because he's going to play two whole minutes. So right, <laughs> he's in there. Like you probably are going ten deep tonight if McCabe is healthy. But I think once you get to the Mountain West tournament, you probably want to know this is my starting lineup. These are the three subs I'm going to use, and this is you know the lineups that I want to get or the matchups I want to get. 
And I think he needs to figure that out before the season is over. And that'll be, that'll be a key for them to have a shot at pulling off an upset, winning the mountain West tournament is knowing what they are. Cause right now he's used so many different lineups in the past five games, six games that what is the best? I, who knows? So who's actually healthy is another key question, too. Coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, Danny Webster. can say it well, San Francisco and Cowboys haven't been to a Super Bowl in 25 years. Okay? And hadn't won a Super Bowl in 25 years. I understand that. San Francisco's in the same boat. You're on the elevator up to the press box with Graney and Bischoff. Wait, I miss Jerry Jones trying to point the finger at somebody else saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're not the only team that sucks around here. Other teams suck, too. Yeah, if you look at the Kraken, the Golden Knights have won as many Stanley Cups. As... <laughs> Joining us now from the Las Vegas Sun is Danny Webster. Good morning, Danny. Hey, Danny. Good morning, guys. And I would just tell Jerry that at least the 49ers have been to a couple of Super Bowls <laughs> since then. So I think he should start on getting that before winning one. No, Jerry Jones hasn't had to worry about the heartbreak of losing a Super Bowl. It's perfectly fine. It's better uh, to lose early, right? The annoyances of being a Cowboys fan, but I digress. Uh, All right. Is it uh, hyperbolic? Is it an overreaction to worry if Mark Stone's career might be done? I don't think so, because you have to worry about this long term now. This is his second back surgery in less than a year. And we don't really, the Golden Knights say that he's going to make a full recovery. Well, he was expected to make a full recovery last time, and now he's back under the knife. So I don't, I don't blame anyone for thinking that the long term ramifications of what happens with Mark Stone's career could be in big question. Now, obviously, he's going to try and do everything he can to get back, and we all understand the competitor that Mark Stone is, but if anyone has any sort of reservations about what he can be long-term, I I don't blame them one bit. In a shorter term, then, he doesn't come back this season. It's obvious that that hurts them, but how much does it hurt him? I mean, could it mean the difference of not making the playoffs? I mean, they've lost six of seven since he went out of the lineup, and they have not looked great at all. So I would say probably not looking great in that in that sense. But in the short term, you got 29 days until the trade deadline, 28, 29 days until the trade deadline. You now have a $9.5 million cap hit that goes on LTIR. And if we know anything about this team, they're going to do everything they can to swing for the fences and go for the big fish. And a lot of national reports are saying uh, out of the last couple of days that that is exactly what the Golden Knights intend to do. They go, they intend to go big game hunting and buckle up, I guess. It, if you were in charge, would you, you know, let's say you've, hey, here's nine and a half million dollars in cap space. Mark Stone's on long term IR. Would you think it's smarter to go after one single Patrick Kane or Vladimir Tarasenko, or do you think it's better for this team to go after two or three, you know, slightly worse but more bodies uh, to play forward for this team? Yeah, I, I think I would go that route. Ultimately, I think just the fact that you need more depth. Like, you obviously you can't fill the void of Stone, but you would like to think that you could grab two or three guys that could fill out the depth in your lineup. You can get. Two or three guys that you can trust in your middle six that can at least get you some sort of offensive production, um, and I and I think rounding out the roster and getting healthy bodies into that lineup is going to be something that they should do. But ultimately, I wouldn't be shocked if they decided, you know what, Timo Meyer sounds good, even though we probably have to get up an arm and a leg for San Jose, and who knows if Patrick Kane's the same way, but. You know what? I, it wouldn't shock me. They go either way. 
How much is Jack Eichel to blame for Jack Eichel, or how much is it that Mark Stone's not there and he doesn't really know who's on his line each night? There's there's definitely a mixture of both. I, I don't think that Jack Eichel has suddenly forgotten how to play hockey, but at the same time, his best hockey this year was when he was skating with Mark Stone, and I don't think it's helped that he hasn't figured out who he's going to be skating with on every given night. But at the end of the day, this is Jack Eichel we're talking about. This is the guy that you invested a lot of important capital in the short term to get, and he flat out has not been the guy that he should be. And he needs to go out and play better after the All-Star break and show that he is very much capable of being a $10 million guy and being able to produce at the level that you should expect him to be. And if he's not doing that, then who else are you going to find in that lineup to do it? So it's it's definitely a mixture of both. But I do ultimately think that he's got to play better. There's no doubt about it. So pre-trade deadline and post-Mark Stone injury, what do you think their first line should be with Eichel? Is there consideration to breaking up the Misfits permanently to give him Marsh, Sower, Smith, or does he need to make it work with a Cotter, a Kessel, a Nick Wall? What do you think the best option is to play with Eichel right now? I think the best option is to probably give him the best players you can give him in order to maximize what you can get from him. And unfortunately, with the way that the Misfits have been playing since Stone went out, and even before Stone went out, they were probably the best line. And I know you don't want to do that, but if you're trying to make everything possible for Jack Eichel to be as successful as he can be, the best way you can do that is to give him the best wingers that you've got. And if whether that's putting both of them with him or just one of them, you got to find a way to get him going because if you don't get him going, then your offense is going to start fluttering at one to two goals a game the way it has. So ultimately, I think that if things start going off the rails, that either one or both of Marshall Sower Smith will be with Eichel at some point after the All Star break. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, though. This is a this is a problem throughout the entire lineup. I mean, not not just Jack Eichel. So what's going on with these guys who can't score goals who are supposed to? I, it's a pretty much a combination of them not being able to get to the net. Their offensive zone time has been very limited. They haven't been able to you know, enact as much offensive zone time as they were at the beginning of the year. They, their offense pretty much at the start of the year was Jack Eichel gets the puck, he holds on to it for 30, 35 seconds, everyone gets set, and then suddenly you have one guy crashing the net or you have Eichel taking the puck himself, and it tires out the defense on the other side. And they're not doing that anymore. They're not, it's a lot of one and done, and I know that probably gives a lot of Golden Knight fans a lot of PTSD when I say one and done because that was the Pete DeBoer era, but it's a lot of one and done right now. There, there's not a lot of good rebound chances. There's not a lot of extended ozone time, and when you don't have the extended ozone time, you're pretty much scattering the other way, and you're pretty much hoping that you can get a stop the other way. And when that's not operating as well as you would hope it to be, then you're pretty much just pretty much scrambling for anything. So it's a lot of one and done. It's a lot of less extended ozone time. And when you don't have that going, it it just completely shuts off your offense like it has the last seven, eight games. We know who the owner is. We know what this front office has done basically every single year. So I know this isn't actually a realistic possibility but should this team consider selling or holding at the trade deadline because they're not actually capable of winning a Stanley Cup now? Should they basically sit the rest of this season out and say, hey, whatever happens, happens, but we don't want to give away future assets for a year we can't win the Cup? 
Yeah, I mean, if you don't want to fully sell and at least recoup some assets, so at least you can at least stock the cupboard going forward, I, I would I would always think that that's a good idea if you don't think that you can, A, get somebody big to help you win a cup this year, and B, you just look at the prospects now that your captain's out again. It's like, well, I guess we tried. Um, I don't think ultimately, given the fact that this is the first year under Bruce Cassidy and they started out so well, I, I don't think I see them selling, though I do think it's a good idea. I don't think, given the fact that they started out well this year and given the fact that it is the first year under Bruce Cassidy and they're still in a playoff hunt, if if Bill Foley looks at that and says, well, I mean, we're still, we're only two points out of first place in the division and we're only, you know, maybe a few extra points out of first place in the conference, we can still do this thing, go all out. Like, it, it wouldn't shock me in the least, but I think it would not hurt either to sell and recoup some assets along the way. Does Chandler Stevenson win the fastest skater competition? I have to think. Connor McDavid is going to have to take some time off at some point of that event, right? Like, I, I, I think he's got a chance, but I don't know if it's going to be. Ultimate. I haven't seen the field, so I'm not sure who else is in it. But I, I would have to think he's got a slight chance. To, I mean, we've been talking about his speed for a long time. He's got a chance, right? Do you think he was disappointed because he had to cancel whatever vacation he had planned to go to the All Star game? No, because I think Marshall had like maybe what, six hours to decide, okay, do I stay home or do I want to go? I, I, I think uh, I think he's fine going to Florida with his family. If, if it was the fact that if he was going to, say, like Cabo and he had to go to Las Vegas, nothing wrong with Las Vegas, but if he had to go from Cabo to Las Vegas in a six-hour time frame, I wouldn't be as mad. Did you watch one minute of the Pro Bowl skills contest? Uh, the only... I only saw the 20 seconds in which Derek Carr committed murder uh, with the Ryan Clark interview. <laughs> Other than that, no, I did not watch. Well, he is Danny Webster from the Las Vegas Sun. Uh, Danny, thank you so much Thanks, for joining Danny. us. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having See me. You. Uh, so there's Danny Webster on the Golden Knights and what happened next? what happens next for this team. They are 100% going to be the most aggressive buyers of the trade deadline. Why would they not be? Like they always have, but they like, it's still a little less than a month away. I think they could fall completely out of the playoff picture in a month and still be like, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, we're going yeah. all in. Bill how Foley, many, what are you talking about? We're not winning the cup. How many picks do we have? None anymore because we're trading them all yeah. away for whoever we can. We're actually going to create some more long-term IR space because <laughs> somebody else has an injury, and we're going to spend $20 million at the deadline. All right, coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, the Oakland A's were in Las Vegas this week. To be on the world stage um, and uh, have two black quarterbacks uh, starting in the Super Bowl, I think it's special. And I've learned more and more about the, the history of the black quarterbacks since I've been in this league. And uh, the guys that came before me and, and Jalen set the stage for this. And now I'm just glad that we can kind of set the stage for guys that are uh, kids that are coming up now. And so uh, uh, it'll be a great game uh, two, against two great teams and then against another great quarterback. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to go out there and try to do what we can to, to win against a great team. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Granny and Bischoff. The A's were back in Vegas. Dave Cavill found his way back. Um, Mick Akers had a story. They met with casino executives from downtown Las Vegas and the north end of the Strip. 
One of the potential sites, the festival grounds, is down there by the stratosphere, uh, by Sahara. Um, and apparently all the casino executives on the north end of the Strip in downtown Las Vegas are in favor of the A's coming to Vegas. But I thought this was the fascinating quote. This is from the president of Resorts World, Scott Sabella. He, sa- or he said, the meeting did not include discussions regarding economics, only that the A's will have our full support. What? What? What is the, the what does that mean? If it didn't have anything to do with economics, and you're saying they got the full support behind them, did the A's really come to Vegas just to meet with casino executives to and tell not them talk money? Right to tell them, oh, we'd love to have the A's here. Right. Great, good meeting, guys. That cannot be what no. they came here to meet about, right? They had there had to have been some discussions of economics. Yeah. I can't. Well, what else would you talk about? Right, like, hey, would you guys like for the A's to move in next door to your casino? Check yes, check no. Like, just send the email. survey. I, I already filled out that survey. <laughs> like, Jared filled out his survey. Like, I just, I don't know. That's just, uh, maybe they were like, hey, how can you support us, but support you in what? Oh, getting public money. Yeah. I just, I can't imagine oh, they came. we can't. And, yeah, I can't imagine they came and had a meeting and didn't discuss public funding of this. That doesn't make any sense. There'd be no point to having that How meeting. else will they have their full support? I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, you guys can move in. That'd be fine. Oh, you want us to give you money? Oh, no. Well, you yeah. don't have our full support now. Derek Stevens, um, he's one of the casino executives that was in this meeting, and he was quoted in the RJ basically saying that nobody should question giving the A's tax money or tax breaks. and his, it's not going to be his. His money. argument was that if we don't give the A's some sort of tax break or tax money, then the only way that Vegas gets a Major League Baseball team is through an expansion process, and that expansion fees are going to cost a billion dollars in the future. Well, then you know what? Don't have baseball. (laughs) I like Ed's take. So, well, there's two important notes to this. Is obviously Derek Stevens who's running casinos in downtown Las Vegas is going to want a baseball team to move in close to downtown Las Vegas. And same goes for resorts world and the stratosphere and Sahara and whatever other executives were at this meeting. Well, of course you want some sort of event, some sort of uh, venue that's going to have more people around your property, more traffic to your area. So, of course, Derek Stevens is going to be like, yeah, we need baseball in Vegas. We need it right next to any of my casinos or hotels. But I think the more important part of that quote from Derek Stevens is he's basically telling Las Vegas, hey, spend your public money to help me out because this billionaire doesn't want to spend his own money that would help me out. When in reality, he should be saying to John Fisher, who is a billionaire, just build it yourself, dude. Like, it'd be great. Then you but, own it. Yeah, just build the whole damn thing yourself. Well. You're going to own it either way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's he's going to own it. <laughs> but, like, just build it yourself. Or this future expansion team that he's worried about having a billion-dollar expansion fee. Why Why yeah, should we? wouldn't we, pay that. Why should we be worried right. about the, some random billionaire having to spend a billion dollars on an yeah. expansion fee? I Okay. Cool. So... The moral of the story here is, one, why did they not talk about financials? And two, of course all of the people on the north end of the Stripper downtown are going to want the A's to build a ballpark on the north end of the right. Stripper in downtown. 
because they're going to benefit from that directly. So they're maybe not the best people to actually listen to. I mean, we're on the same page. I've said it. I've written it about public money. So when I see Derek Stevens saying something like this, I'm like, all right, like Jared said, it's not your money. Right. Well, it's there's also a certain level of like, I now don't like you, Derek Stevens. (laughs) Like you've now just like acted like I'm an idiot and you're explaining like, oh, don't you understand how money works? Yeah, I understand that the guy with money should be spending his own bleeping money. Don't make my schools worse because you want a bonus. Yeah. That's what it is at the end of the day. If there's public money going to the A's. Now, as has been talked about plenty of times on this show, there is no actual public monetary help coming for the A's in no. Vegas so far. There's been no the, the only thing there's that's been no been, temperature for it at all. At the, the only legislative thing is, level or yeah. any level. Joseph Lombardo, the new governor, was like, Well, we're not gonna give him tax money, but Maybe there's, there's some other programs yeah, there's that there's programs. they could get money, which is like, yeah, here's 50 bucks, dude. Yeah. Like, I maybe it's a little bit more than that, but it doesn't. Until that changes, I don't believe the A's are coming here. I, until there's an one of two things has to happen. Either one, somebody on an influential level has to be like, I want to give the A's public money to come here. If that happens, then the A's might end up here. The other thing that could happen, but is very, very unlikely, is if John Fisher, the owner of the A's, says, well, I'll just pay for the whole thing myself. Right. If he says that, A's are coming. And here's the thing. Nobody's going to complain about that. If an owner says, I'll pay for the whole thing myself. Good. Fantastic. Yeah. Can't wait. A's. But I highly doubt that's happening because... That's not what that doesn't happen in pro sports. No, in the US no. Sport. I think the only Major example baseball doesn't want that. Right. The only example in recent history is Stan Kroenke, the owner of the Rams, when he moved them to L.A. If I remember correctly, they did not get any public money right. to build that. That's like the only example in like the last twenty years, maybe even longer than that, of a pro sports team being like, "Oh, we'll build it without any public assistance right. whatsoever." So. It's very, 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 very unlikely John Fisher would say, oh, I'll just build it myself. But if he does, fantastic. The A's are coming to Vegas. But if he also, if he would, if he's willing to do that, he'd probably be willing to just do it in Oakland without any public money because it's a bigger market. I mean, I will go further to say that we also have the receipts that giving public money to sports teams for stadiums doesn't help. No, it's like we have yeah. the actual evidence. That's just you can't keep trying to pull this trick on yeah. us. But they can't. They actually no, 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 they, they, they can't. actually yeah. yeah, you're right. They keep trying to pull it. And I hope that we somebody says no. So far, Las Vegas is saying no. We did it for one team, and then we're like, Yeah. And we're like, eh, baseball. Yeah. We got football. The A's needed to beat the Raiders here. Because now that we have the NFL, we're gonna be like, eh. Public money for what? Right. Baseball. Eh. We're fine. We got a football team. We got a hockey team that didn't need any public money. That's probably how many people go downtown to watch those games. I personally would hate that location. (laughs) But But I mean how many I mean maybe the first year? It is interesting. It is an interesting question. How successful would baseball be on the strip? Because if you put baseball on the strip here, you're basically saying we need tourists to make up 60% of our attendance, 70% of our attendance. So it would be interesting to see would that work when you have 80 plus home games a year yeah. and you need tourists to come to that. It might be okay for a couple of years, but if the A's suck, 